Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're gonna be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're gonna hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way. Along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener. Like chapters of a great book, each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. What's up, New York City? <laughs> Radio host. <laughs> All right, I'm here with Cassell Ferrer, who is a creator, he's a filmmaker, a photographer, a designer and a writer, most notably contributing on all things dope, sustainable fashion and travel for fashion for Forbes, at Forbes. That is correct. And most impressive in my eyes, uh, Cassell is the founder, editor-in-chief of Reverie. Did I pronounce it right? Uh, Reverie. Reverie. Page, yeah. Page Magazine. Page Magazine comes in physical copies, features stories about sustainable fashion worldwide and not just about clothing, but also interior design, food, and well, all things of the arts. Yeah, man, that's a pretty accurate. You've probably described it better than I have, um, or just like laid it out better than I would. Cause for Paige, uh, just in general, like or you as a whole, Paige, Paige, Paige mostly, because like I think Paige to me is a, a something of a evolution, where like I started with the idea for a sustainable fashion outlet, um, something more relatable rather than like the quintessential barefoot contessa, you know, the tree hugging life, no disrespect, you know, if you want to do that, go ahead. But I think there's a practicality behind um, the world we've created. Let me just make that clear because all of the things that we have in this world are, you know, based on concept and not necessity as much as like maybe farming you know, which what, you do talk about, you do talk about within page. Yeah, definitely talk about farming within page, um, you know, independent farmers. I, I think we did a story in the last issue uh, where we featured a, um, I forgot Fam her name. A family. Um, yeah, it was a family. It's like a man, woman and child. They have a farm. They, um, you know, supply food um, for certain uh, entities in New York City, you know. But there are other farms too, upstate. Um, and then just farms in general, like there's people, you know, going back to that since the pandemic. So, you know, kind of to keep, it's it's more about the 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 whole, you know, the, the whole sum rather than the individual parts to me, where like somebody might see sustainable fashion as, or sustainability as like, you know, I'm using the <laughs> I'm using the cellulose straw or the paper straw rather than yeah, but that just seems like somebody trying to be uh be relevant, like going with like what they're what they're told is sustainable versus mm -hmm. something that actually is sustainable uh, and uh, and living 100%. it. Percent, yeah, and and to me, when you kind of put the idea of sustainability under that gaze of like instead of this, we'll do that. It's more like. It, it may or may not, you know, be the most effective, most efficient way to go about it. But it's it's just we applaud you for taking this step or being, a, you know, like kind of acknowledged. As long it. as they're doing it for the right reason, though. Yeah. You know, you don't want to you don't want to have that like faux pas influencer moment where you're like, you which know, is, which is common. Yeah. You get that. I'm a sure lot. you see all the time. Yep, you definitely do. You know, and like you see it in a sense of like someone trying to pander to the to the sustainable audience in a way that they're like 
and you see it now with um, influencers, de-influencers. I don't know if you heard of that. No. But they're... De-influencer? So, All right, if you, give, me the, <laughs> give me the urban dictionary definition of a de-influencer. So the influencer uh, typically has a product and... You know, ultimately, it came from an organic standpoint where they like, oh, I love this, you know, teacup, right? I got a teacup in my hand. And this is the best teacup out, you know, because uh, I, I either bought it or they gave it to me. So it's relative to that situation. But, you know, I have de-influencers um, kind of saying like, oh, this product is not the best or we're not going to buy that or we're not going to do that. So it's like, you know, it's a, I think that's an uh. evolution of cancel culture as well. <laughs> but in a sense of like, there's you know, two ways of looking at that. One, yeah. I kind of appreciate that. But mm -hmm. two, it's kind of like a Yelp mentality where, you know, probably 80, 90% of reviews on Yelp people go to do that just to complain. Yeah. It's like people are now finding things to complain about, which it will take the teacup example. Mm -hmm. They might not actually dislike that teacup, but like they're going to complain about it just for content. Yeah. Whereas like someone might be saying this is a great teacup mm -hmm. just for content. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, that's the nature of it. It's like you want to build the content out, but then, you know, you want to have something to say. And that's what I'm saying where like, sustainability gets so convoluted in like one-to-one -one where it's like it's a lot of different things that you you know it's a whole lifestyle when you look at the person that is the tree hugger like they divest from everything almost you know maybe they have wi-fi and a cell phone just to stay connected and maybe do you know the farm the, the one that moved from the city to the farm it's like you still have to do business with the city you know if you want to mm -hmm. be viable in like i said the world we created you know, the concept behind you need money to do things to pay. So you know would I mean? you say that like the Amish are like the OG sustainable livers? It, it Amish people probably, you know, is a good marker for that because they do everything themselves. They make their clothes. They, 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 you know, harvest their food. They, um, ride horse and buggy, ride horse and buggy. They don't have any combustion engine stuff as much, or like, you know, maybe there's something, but like, I don't think it has to do with like a car or something that's more wasteful. They don't, um, you know, they don't communicate with that modern world. So essentially like, yeah, they'll have a carbon emission. Cows have a carbon emission. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? Wait, explain that. Um, so, like, even with agriculture, like, you know, they're deforesting in Brazil and, you know, places in Europe. But it's like they're doing that to create um, land for, for feed. Not so much for, like, crop, but, like, feed for these cows and whatnot. And cows, essentially, like, we use manure. But when it's, like, you have cows in this more factory kind of you know concept and then mm -hmm. it's like you have a, a a great amount of this ethanol fuming cow shit so this is more of like <laughs> a you're, you're talking about more of like a commercial based yeah. farm yeah so like that's what they want to do because they you know 2020 it was a meat shortage i do not believe there was a meat shortage i think there was just a concept that they instilled to kind of create a some sort of panic and I sound like a conspiracy theorist right now, but I'm I'm just saying that in the sense I that- I believe you. So if we both believe it, then it's not a conspiracy. It's yeah, fact. no. I, it's factual. So in a sense of like, you know, there's a meat shortage. It's like, no, we overeat. That's all it is. We we have, we eat with our eyes as, as, as modern human beings. Like we're predicting, you know, I'll have this amount of money. So let me buy this house. 
You know, that's, that's literally what we're doing. Um, let me predict how much we'll eat for the month. So I'll go to the grocery store and I'll ball out. It's like, you know, you could buy food for a few days and then go back to the store. You could use the exercise, <laughs> but think about it like that, where it's like, okay, even the toilet paper thing. Like, oh, this pandemic and this and that. Well, that, no was toilet a, paper. that was a little crazy. But that was the, that to me always is the sign of like what the general population is, is or how they're thinking and moving. You know, when there's a panic for toilet paper and people panic because there's a meat shortage, I'm like, so no meat, can't take a shit. You don't need to use the toilet paper. What's the rush? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just a that's just a joke more so, you know. But it's like those type of things to me is like that's that's what's motivating me to even have a conversation about, you know, farming and sustainability, travel and sustainability. Um you know, I spoke uh, to, what's her name, Stephanie Gilmore. She's a, a surfer from Australia. And, you know, speaking with her, she's like, she lives in the water. She lives on these islands where, like, she this is her work. And for her to say, like, I've seen Bali go from banana leaf wraps for food to, like, plastic coming down the rivers and polluting. That's the, so sad. You know what I mean? And she's, like, been surfing her whole life, so... For her 30 years of living, you know, and she came up in the 90s, obviously, it's like there wasn't as much digital or as much technology that, you know, we can have plastic on everything and whatnot. Um, so for someone like Stephanie Gilmore, do you mm. think that she is now trying to find that more uh, organic, sustainable culture elsewhere? Or is she someone who will stay in Bali mm. because that's where her heart is? Versus trying to go find where, where it's it cleaner. hasn't been, I'll call it infiltrated. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, excuse me. I think for the most part, um, someone like Stephanie Gilmore is not trying to escape, escape like that environment. Reality? Yeah. That reality is more yeah. like, you know, I don't know exactly what, you know, her influence and what she's trying to, you know, do over there as much as like, besides just her, her craft or just surfing. But like for her to actually just recognize it is enough and to actually speak on it is is that's for me is like that. I feel like that's my job where it's like she understands this. So you should understand it as well. I mean, I was just in Aspen and I'm like, this place is it's pretty well manicured. You know what I mean? And understandably, it's like we look at places like that and like I'm like, OK, I mean, I don't litter in general, but it's like, why the hell would I litter? You know, why would I, you know, sully this for any reason? You know what I mean? Because it's so pristine. It looks nice. It's a great place to be. But it's like, you know, you think about that when you go to other places. When I went to Jamaica, they can reuse tires, cars. They can break them down into little things and build them back up. And they do. They most definitely do. The things you cannot reuse are... The, the potato chip bags, the the forks and sporks and the, the containers for the food and things like that. So when you kind of walk through um, where I was at, I walked through like the property in the, in the little forest area and you like walking over cans and, and, you know, potato chip bags and like I said, utensils and all that around the, around the grounds. And it's like, that to me was sad because it was just like, I came here and I'm like, following this dude, this, this roster dude, he's barefoot climbing a tree, dropping breadfruit on my head. I'm like, all right, let's let's go eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're like eating from the, the land, you know what I mean? Like there's chickens and where I was staying, it was chickens and pigs and things like that, a bunch of dogs. 
And it's like everything here is just natural in a sense. But then you have these things that you can see around that kind of like become an eyesore. Um, is that stuff like in Jamaica, for example, is that stuff that tourism brings to the brings to the island? It's it's not. I wouldn't say I, so I couldn't much. see that like someone who's indigenous to that specific area of Jamaica would mm-hmm. w- would um, would uh, pollute. I, I would say it's it's um it's 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 I think it's more than that because it, it becomes the thing of like just modern society where you know you get modern society makes us a little more lazy like because we have technology we have Uber Eats we don't have to go anywhere as much so like when you think about it, like these places that you know were more in a natural setting and it could be Bali it could be Jamaica and like. As modern technology comes in, then they're like, okay, you, I'm trying to think of like a snack from a place where people, you know, kind of just indigenous or more associated with the land and like, let's bag it, let's sell it, you know, let's make profit off of it. And to do those, to take that action is like, all right, now you're creating the, the, you're creating the avenue for that plastic waste or that you know, piece of waste because now you you created oh, it. I got it. You know what I mean? You created a, a thing that people are familiar with. Now you could now you've given it to them easier. So we'll take the easier one. If I can buy twenty five cents off the shelf, cool. Rather than wait my mom a couple hours to make the thing that I like to eat. You know what I mean? And ultimately, like those those concepts create that, and then it just see like a little trickle is just sprinkled everywhere, like cans, this that, can soda, like you know. I don't even know what soda is. <laughs> I don't even do know. Mean? I don't know what's what like Coca Cola and like Pepsi the ingredients. Are. Yeah, I don't or know like what they are as a as a brand. Like what what don't you what about it don't you get the 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 anatomy of it the black liquid like to me and just I'm kind of over exaggerating but it's like I don't know what that is. You don't know what it is or you don't get it. You're like I don't why, get it. Why would someone drink soda when you have? these other options yeah you, you know, know you, you can squeeze oranges you can, there's coconuts in the islands like it's yeah. so, and like you think about a coconut even that like that cup kind of feel and it's like well the coconut actually breaks down on its own well coconut's yeah. a lot harder to uh it's to a lot access. It's, it's a lot less attainable you know let's talk about something that's a lot easier to access mm. we're talking well, banana about trees in jamaica they are like they're yeah but you're talking about soda so let's talk mm. about like sodas we're in new york city okay Whereas I I agree with you. Uh-huh. Why would someone drink a soda when you have all these other and we don't? See, it, I'm gonna say healthier options, mm-hmm. but just options that'll make you feel good and yeah. won't make you feel like shit. Like you have a soda, you have 40 grams of sugar in a can. That's fucking crazy. That's crazy. They still they still produce this. Yeah, and they still sell it just as much. I mean, Warren Buffett's still making a billion dollars off of it. I mean, and and. In respect to, you know, we were talking about just like the interests of like, I guess, American culture and going to like places like Niagara Falls or Aspen or something like that. And like when you when you, you know, when you think about the like how people look at the world and then or if you actually go out into the world and you start to like pay attention, it's like you can see how Coca-Cola is a billion dollar company. You know what I mean? You can see it when you. You're saying just because you could buy it anywhere, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. You could be in the back. You could be in a third world country on a on a moped and just pop into a you know, let's say an empanada stand in the middle of the jungle, and they're they're selling Coca Cola. 
I think in um, I was watching a documentary on Venezuela, and like in Venezuela, like Coca Cola, or even in South America, like those the names that we we know, like just from childhood, Coca Cola, Pepsi, Domino's. In those places, they're they're gods. They're gods. Coca Cola is god. Like that's every like sometimes they would in describing. A, a fizzy drink, a, you know, a carbonated drink. They'll just say, "Give me a Coca Cola." Well, it's uh, the marketing behind it, also. That, you, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. You a fan of Mad Men? I am. I work in ads. Uh, there, so, uh, there we go. So you remember <laughs> how the the show ended? No, I don't remember too much about this show. I didn't get into too much. Uh, oh my TV. god! I know about this show though. But oh like, my, you know about this? You've never watched Mad Men? I've, I've watched the episodes, not like front to back. I'm not. Don Draper is one of the greatest TV characters, show characters of yeah. all time. Like, yeah, it's a it's a character that has a, a script written mm-hmm. for him, but the way that he just carries the character mm-hmm. and like his like Don isms, like you would love that, especially mm-hmm. doing what you do. Yeah, no, I, I I've heard enough about the show um i think i probably would pick it up i'm not too much of a person to uh sit down and like watch a show i could binge there's times when i binge but i every every day of the week to me is planned out and it doesn't plan a tv show kind of activity i maybe what time do you go to bed like shit like one every night i should be going to bed earlier so but... you plan your day and you have bed at 1 a.m on your on your schedule no, it's just usually like eleven o'clock is when I try to get off my computer, wind down. Yeah, and like if I could get off at eleven, great. But usually it's like eleven, eleven thirty, eleven forty-five, twelve, twelve fifteen, twelve thirty. So, Casella, you're talking about getting off your computer. Does that mean also getting off your phone? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I I may tap in some messages as I'm laying down, but like I'm trying to get off my phone. I'm trying to get off of it and maybe just zone out with something like this on the screen <laughs> you know something some visuals or something yeah something to relax you yeah something to relax me and stop thinking about shit throughout the day um but well, let's let's segue that into i i i gave an intro who you are mm-hmm. tell me who you are and what are you doing right now who i am i am i am a journalist and a creative uh, I am a digital content or just a content creator because I'm creating a physical magazine. Um, not necessarily influencer, but I kind of, you know. Now you actually are an influencer in a way that, like, the word influence, if you look it up in the dictionary, not yeah. the way, not the urban dictionary. Like, <laughs> y- you look up Webster's dictionary of influencer, and that's what you actually do because the the stuff that you write about, the mm-hmm. the fashion trends that you write about, or even historical fashion like mm-hmm. you know you were you were at magic what it was last month yeah i was at magic a couple of weeks ago in vegas and like i spoke uh to carl Kanai, which i read that and that like it it <laughs> took me back because like the nostalgia behind that yeah and like i remember that that john wallace poster yeah i remember that john wallace poster when he came when they drafted him from syracuse and he was like supposed to be like <laughs> the next the next you know what i'm saying he was like the next star yeah and i remember him in like the carl Kanai sneakers and looking back you know i'm like carl Kanai made sneakers yeah like, that's uh all you know, obviously all respect to carl Kanai, but like 
and one making sneakers, eh? Like Carl Kanai, like that was a streetwear brand yeah. making sneakers that were actually worn in the league. Yeah, and like, you know, finding, like, it, almost like you, I lived through it so young. Like, he started in 89, like, I'm still a, a small kid, but like, when I told him, I'm like, I saw this on corners. I lived, I, my house was the last house before a Jewish mosque on 610 Maple Street, and then another building and a corner store. So I'm like, and then when I tell people, I'm like, yo, like, New Brooklyn Jew, New York? Jew, Jewish temple, Jewish temple. Oh, te temple? Yeah, okay, yeah. see, I, I need more information. Um, but just like to experience that where like, okay, I get out of my house, I got to walk past the temple. But I'm like engaging with these kids. Like we're talking, you know, I always compare it to um, that movie, Kid with the Striped Pajamas. You ever seen it? Is that the name of the movie? Um, yeah, the Kid with the Striped Pajamas. Yeah. Uh, the movie's based on the, the what do you call it? The Holocaust? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to use the right words. <laughs> it's based on the Holocaust. I don't think there's any other word for the Holocaust. <laughs> And like, basically this kid is, there's one kid that they follow who's, his father is a Nazi general, but this kid is obviously innocent. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just like, I'm just gonna go do my thing. Nobody's stopping me from doing my thing because I'm a part of this group that is in control right now. He would ride his bike through the woods. He gets to a gate or through, um, it's a gate, it's a gate. And then, at the gate, he's like, I don't know what this is, but I'm walking around, but he sees a kid. The kid comes over and he has a striped pajamas. Who's the kid? The kid is in a containment camp. Uh... He becomes friends with the kid. Oh, after a certain point in time, he can, the, the kid is like, hey, I want to hang out with you and you can't come here. Even though I have all this here, I'm going to go in there with you. Goes, he finds a way to get in, digs a little trench under the, the gate, Finds himself some some gear to throw on so he can hang out with somebody who he perceives as his friend. Who probably he is his friend. He just don't. They both don't understand the context of what's going on around them. Ultimately, long story short, you know you know what happened with the Holocaust and the containment camps. And this these two kids didn't make it to the end of the, the movie. The dad finds out what actually happened, and he's just Destroyed. torn. Yeah, he's torn. He's torn because it's just like. You, he, he's perpetuating a hate that his son doesn't even know about and doesn't know how to navigate it and he you know ends up in that kind of situation so like even for me coming out of my house and like I'm dealing with these kids I'm playing basketball with these kids I'm like yo listen let me tell you something don't ever go to Jewish courts because they will bust your ass they, they're they hacking out there they're doing everything and they're doing it in slacks like don't sleep they got game out there <laughs> you know and like that's just my experience but like even going back to the Carl Kanai thing it's like I get past that it's like dudes on the corner Dudes are really on the corner in the '90s. I don't. I just want people to understand that too. Like, dudes are really on the corner, depending on where you live. Like, it was really like your parents is like, "Yo, chill, don't go outside, not right now." Or the, Probably you know, past the '90s. Past the '90s, of yeah. course, yeah, 2000s and whatnot. But like, but I'm, the '90s was more like you didn't even have a. I'm trying to think. You didn't even have a pager yet. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you literally had to physically go or drive through and. And like you watch Pick one up. person stand on the corner, more people come, more people come, more people. And about the you know evening hours, like there's like, you know, a handful of dudes, dozen dudes on the corner just chilling, and like yeah, and they're they're out there in the gear, called Kanai, head to toe, whatever it was. Pele 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 Pele's. They got the the beanie hats inside out because they like the little, you know what I mean. And it's like there's like a dude in the cut with like a bat. And I'm like, no, that's really how it's going down. That's their corner. That's their block. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like, 
all right, you see all those things. And then like to see me, Carl Kanai, and like to obviously like just speak on, you know, like, yo, this is what I saw. And he's like, yo, I did this. And I, you know, worked with the Knicks and like, and I'm just like, yo, this is crazy. Like this is everything in full circle as far as the fashion industry today, you know, and brands trying to connect with like youthful culture in like the nineties and they're bringing all these styles back and they're giving you oversized clothes. And it's like, I, I, I see that I respect it, but I'm like, let's, let's, no one's going to say anything about it until someone says something about it. So let me be the one to say something about it. And if somebody wants to deny me and says, Carl Kanai is not the pioneer of streetwear within high fashion. Cool. Talk about it. And prove to me otherwise, because in all respect, it's hard to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm thinking uh, other brands that came on the scene after him. So if he started in 89... It was like, he's like, the only other one was Cross Color. And like I, don't, this, I don't even know Cross Color. Yeah, Cross Color was... Uh, it was more like, I guess, like the, the yellow, green, red, black, Pan-African colors, and then... It had like usually had an X, kind of like built off of like the Malcolm X kind of okay. uh, design aesthetic. Like his, you know, you've seen the stuff. He was obviously another era, but they they pulled from that and kind of created that line cross color. Probably some more stuff within, but like he's like those are the only two brands that kind of had that streetwear esque or was like making clothes for like people in the, those neighborhoods and whatnot. Who would you say is your uh, or who what did what would you say is your favorite? Streetwear brand growing up, what was growing up? Yeah, growing up. Who, man? Was there any? I like Cross Color because I like the colors. Really impacted you the most. I mean, that's the thing too, man. Like, uh, you know, growing up and like, I certainly couldn't afford everything. That was one thing. So you kind of wanted things, but just hard to like tell, convince your parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know to kind of like get you like hey I want the calcanitis so I want the um the uh, Pepe jeans or like you know or the what is it they had a whole bunch of brands favorite though I would probably say Calcani, um because it, it it was like they had everything and like you know. I don't know. Maybe I was just so geeked to like meet him, but I think mm. Carl I was like. It's also you got some recency bias. Like, would you say that like Sean John would even be sprinkled in there at all? Those brands count. Sean John, Rockaway. Because like Sean John for me, Sean John mm-hmm. was like that. Like that's what I wanted. You yeah. Know, Sean John, Fat Farm. That was. I didn't like Fat Farm too much. Lo- didn't like Fat Farm too much. Nah. That was like. I mean, with, I, the, with the velour suits. Yeah. Who. I mean, who who dominated the velour suit game? I'll tell you what, it was fat. Yeah, Fat Farm came in, but I liked Academics when like Fabulous okay. was on. I think Academics was probably beside because like Carl, Carl, uh, Carl and I kind of like, you know, just kind of blended in. And then they had, like you said, Fat Farm, Academics. Um, what the, what was the other brand? Like Dada um, and Mecca know, Mecca. Mecca, uh, Iniche. My cousin there used to wear a lot of Iniche. And I, and I was, uh, I used to try to take all his clothes, but um, academics to me, I loved it. The logo and like they did a lot of velour suits, so like to me, like they 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 probably have my attention for a little bit. Um, but I was always like trying to like get pieces, like you know maybe some Rockaway. I had a Sean John leather, which was pretty cool, a solid one too, like solid black, because you know they always have like some shit on it. But I was like, this is hard. I remember I had this uh, this like powder blue Sean John suit. Oh yeah, I remember that. My initials are SJC, 
So like it had the SJC <laughs> monogram on it. That's hot. And like that was the dopest. Yeah, no, that's hot. Like, see, and, that, and that's the to me, like you know, even all those brands like just getting out there and putting their stuff out there. You know, to me, like that's just like where streetwear, you know, went from that point. You know, and kind of infusing it now where you see like Pharrell coming into Louis Vuitton, where it's like you could say that's overdue. <laughs> you can honestly say that. Like it's it's been years he's been collaborating with them. I used to work for Billionaires Boys Club, so I know a little bit of the ends where it's like that could have happened years ago. But But who when you're saying years ago, who was mm-hmm. picked ahead of him? that you know maybe it was his turn but it's not like the person who was picked ahead of him was wrongfully chosen no no i think um with virgil being there even with um column and kid super like i i thought that was great because I, I thought it was spot on where it was like yeah don't try to pick up what virgil left off like right move on like get fresh legs under you um and then with pharrell is maybe more so because to me he, uh, he's more like artiste I feel like so it was for him it's probably like I don't want to do that just yet it sounds good but I don't think that's where I'm at so like you know music wise he's probably focused on that the brand BBC ice cream and its expansion and how to make that more into lifestyle I think that was something of his um focus you know even speaking with him when the store opened in Miami like you know he's he's got partners involved, so it's you're like, talking about billionaires boys, billionaires, billionaires boys, boys club, club and Pharrell. Yeah, I spoke with Pharrell in Miami when the store opened, and like, you know he he's he has other partners involved in the things he does. So I think when it comes to like being focused on something, he probably was like, okay, the store opened, we're in a good space, everything is running, I can do this now. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, let me do everything in a sense that we saw. Virgil kind of doing everything that any kid from anywhere would want to do, right? You know, which is unique in itself. You think Virgil was also maybe a little more relatable? Relatable? No, nah, I don't think Virgil is super relatable. I, I you don't I, think he was more I, relatable than Pharrell? I don't think Virgil. I feel like Pharrell's been a superstar mm-hmm. outside of fashion, mm-hmm. and he's just as you know, he's a bit more larger than life than what Virgil was. Mm-hmm. As a as an icon, mm-hmm. Virgil was a fashion and an art icon or a creative, yeah. creative icon, yeah, which is more relatable than someone who's oh, okay. rocking okay, out with NERD you... in the '90s, and like <laughs> that was, you know, that's who he was, and he just he he was at the top. I mean, listen, I heard stories from uh, Pharrell's tour manager, uh, Philip Leeds, who I used to work under, where like he was dripping in gold and Gucci. Like that's the description, yeah. And I'm like, that's fucking hot. <laughs> I'm like, that's crazy. But to me, I say relatable. Well, I guess for me, when I say relatable, I'm talking about who feels more like me. And Virgil did a lot in the space that, you know, yeah, a lot of us could relate. I'm doing creative things. I'm coming up with this, that, and the third. Um, I'm having conversations, you know, with people about like, you know, doing something in physical fashion like with the clothing of it you know rather than just kind of speaking on it and like that's all relatable when i say relatable though i'm talking about the person mm-hmm. and like virgil is a different person in background as opposed to like pharrell who i'm more familiar with in his background where he's from even though like i wasn't in a school band i was in choir maybe in elementary school but Same. like musically i'm not 
super inclined. I, I like music. I could, you know, I tried it. You know, I tried to make beats and do those things, but I knew that like it was just something of an outlet rather than it was just me. So like why I say or Pharrell to me seemed more relatable because it was like songs like Rockstar where it was like, You can't beat me, I'm a rock star. I'm rhyming on top of a cop car. And it's like it's soft, but it's like that's the rebellion to me. That's the way I was at. You know, that's what I was doing when I was learning. You see kids in the hood now skateboarding, and it's like, I was skateboarding in the hood. People looked at me crazy, but I wasn't like trying to go extra hard. I was just like, I'm trying to do some tricks. Like, it should look hot, look fun. I snowboarded. Did you, uh, did you ever have soaps? What's that? What soaps? Yeah. Come on. The, the shoes with the, um, with the grinding plate under it? Oh, the skate shoes? Yeah, the skate shoes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I used to see those kids doing that. And I used to uh, see. I used to look at them like, "That's the devil. What's going on here?" <laughs> I see kids just like, and they just start gliding. Yeah. I was like, "Whoa, what's this?" No, nah, I didn't use those. Like, I, I, I wasn't into the the wheeled sports at that point when those shoes came out. Like, I did. Like, my skating experience was like out of curiosity. I I started going to from Brooklyn to Manhattan. We used to go to the Nike store, and then we started going to Soho, and we like, yo, what's this place? You this know? is like when when you were in middle school. Yeah, and I also wanted to point out because Prada was like been there for years. I wanted to point out too, like think about Karl Lagerfeld and the leather plate with the metal, the leather band with the metal mm-hmm. plate on top. Like he did that in the, when he, you know, in the early '90s and late '80s, like for Karl Kanai. For Karl Kanai. So I just kind of wanted to point that out with something like a, a brand like Prada when you see that uh, leather patch and the metal plate. Like, Is that with the Kanai signature? Yeah, that used to have the, and it used to be like a back of the sweater uh-huh. or something. Yeah, so like th- things like that, like, you know, I point to um, and kind of like reference as far as like what my conversation is with like streetwear and fashion. Um, but back to your question, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. We, we uh... mm. Where was I going? We were talking about a lot. Yeah, no. So we, let's uh, let's let's segue. Let's segue. Right. Um, how'd you uh, how'd you get into being a journal? How'd you get to be a journalist? Like, when did that passion? Because you write for Forbes. Mm-hmm. You're a contributor for Forbes. Yeah. So before we get into you being a contributor for Forbes, what are your thoughts on the word contributor? Because um, I look at contributor and like I don't know. Is that a does it come off as prestigious? Is it someone who's like, where on the totem pole is contributor? How do you feel about that? Um, to me, I, that title is not that bad. I understand the power of titles too, so I'm I'm not going to well, just that's sit why, here. That's why I ask. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I don't care what they call me. <laughs> um, no, like I understand like the title of contributor. I think to me, just the word contributor is is, is powerful enough. You know, like I wouldn't, um, like you, I'll I'll say it over freelance, like any day. I don't like freelance as much. Freelance is like you're, uh, you know, you got a 10 day contract, whereas contributor, you know, you, uh, you're here for the season. Contributor to me sounds more like consultant because it's like, I'm doing the things you don't want to do. You know, they didn't send nobody. You know, I'm going there to get the story. I want to know what's going on. I want to be able to convey the story, trans, you know, transfer that energy. So, like, I'm contributing to your thing because you don't have anybody covering this. 
This is and that's essentially how I got involved with Forbes because they opened up their platform to arts and leisure. And when I saw that, I just jumped on it. I applied. I didn't get in at that point. Mm. Um, and did they tell you why? So the person told me. Well, that, give it. Give me a. Give me a year. How long ago was this? That was in 2020. So in 2020, they opened it up to contributors. Yeah. So they. They. So no pandemic yet. They already had this program in play. Around January, they were like, apply. Anyone, you know, if you got a background in writing or, you know, show us something. And I was already um, six months or so into my creating my magazine. The platform was online. It was I was writing and they didn't accept me that point. It was until after some things I wrote um, after the pandemic happened and some other stuff happened that I was just kind of like pushing my stuff out there. And I sent it to the same editors at Forbes and then they're like, reapply. And then I was like, okay, I'll reapply. And they were like, yeah, just something, something didn't connect for them as far as my name on paper and then my, um, my birth name, I guess. And like, Which is? my birth name is Andrew, right? Not ex that exciting. Also, Cassell actually helps me separate myself, you know, in a, in a, in a context of like being a creative, not working, but being an actual creative, you know, it's like, you know, you have a name now so to speak so it's more more so the marketing behind like branding myself but um i use the name cassell and i'm like well that's what i'm gonna go with and then they were like oh well we didn't they didn't know and yada yada and i was like all right yeah honest make a mistake i guess an honest mistake but to me there's always been an issue of that with the name and like i'm like you call people by nicknames all the time why you can't use this name mm -hmm. And or more so a nickname, a pen name. Yeah, and like, and exactly. And like, for me, that was one of those points where like, when people talk about like, um, today, like, you know, identity and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, I know all about it. Because I wanted to be this person. They kept reducing me back to this. And I'm like, I'm just a name. I don't even, you know what I mean? I'm like, you call me by the name, you know, like, and kind of experiencing that and then seeing that, oh, okay, you guys are still square so to speak. And now you guys want to open up to arts and leisure. So I'm like, all right, let's play, you know? And to me, it's like, I don't have no bitterness about it. I'm just like, all right, what took you so long? <laughs> you know? And like, just looking at it from that perspective, it was like, all right, if you guys trust me enough, you know, in the sense that you already overlooked this one issue, now you trust me enough to like write stories, of, you know, about fashion. It's like, all right, yeah, like I'm going to take advantage of that, you know? Yeah, and I guess more so you know, now giving you a chance. Now they really want to see what you got to offer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm 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 trying to be in their good graces and, and be um It seems like you are. Did did they send you to Aspen this past week? Nah, you know what a lot of it is just kind of me trying to find the stories and that's why I say I'm a journalist where it's like I'm not a, a writer. They didn't tell me to write shit. Got it. You know what I mean? They don't tell they don't tell you what to do. Once you're on there, like, cool. You could sit there and just be That's delinquent. awesome. So that's a level of trust. Yeah. And that's a level of trust <laughs> that if you got that trust from Forbes, mm -hmm. that's massive. And that's also for you, that's massive for the resume. Yeah, that's another thing too, where um like Forbes is a name. They're big, they're huge, they don't need me, you know. But when I think about it like this, 
Like I'm competing in a space of hype beast. I'm competing with GQ. I'm competing with WWD, Vogue, and all these other, you know, um, bigger names as opposed to my name with Forbes, you know, and like I'm not on staff. So like I'll meet these other editors out, you know, and I'm like, oh, you guys have like a team so you can cover everything. Like, you know, I'm not. And then to me, I'm like almost in awe that I'm like, oh, okay, this is what I'm competing against. So I'm not even, so then therefore I'm like, I'm not competing with you guys. But do you appreciate the competition? Yeah. Like, yeah. do you, do you, oh, wel yeah. you welcome it? Hell yeah. I, listen, to me, writing is the equivalent of like making a song as a rapper, so to speak. It's like, those are your bars. And that's how I see it because that's how I stay, you know, passionate about it because it's just like ooh, if that word and that sentence and that go with that and then follow with that oh they're gonna love reading this and i'm sitting there like all right i know those kids over there i know those those staff writers over there you know i'm not trying to put them down anyway but i'm like that's why i say i'm a journalist because it's just like i i'm gonna go and find something that no one else can find you know out of this story or just like be have a more unique perspective. Is that a story. is that from from people you're interviewing? Is that from research? How do you get what other people aren't getting? Um, for one, I'm more unique as a, I guess as a journalist. You know, I see I see like other writers with the names like Seth Green or or um, Robert Green, Glenn O'Brien, R.I.P. Um, Vanessa Friedman, who's a fa big fashion writer, like uh, like columnists, like opinion people, like when they speak, we listen. You know, that's who these people are. So it's like, why try to be in the lane of like hype beats and identify drops or whatever, and then do some more longer form stuff around that? Where it's just like, let me just be talking about the shit that's relevant in the hottest way possible to make it sound dope. You know. I, I mean, this fashion week, I didn't go to a single show, but last fashion week, I couldn't make it to any shows because I was like, there's so many parties. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's going on? There's so many parties. And then ultimately, I'm like, all right, I want to write about fashion week, but I don't want to write about. So let me ask you, are you going to go to any specific party and write about anything specific because you think that maybe if you write about this, um, it'll be shared by whoever you're writing it about, whoever you're writing about, and they have a platform that if they push you on through that platform, that'll give you more credibility. No, that's definitely the plan. I mean, I don't look at it in no, I'm not looking at it like a- Like let's use a Michael B. Jordan, Calvin Klein. Mm -hmm. to, to like right now you couldn't have more clickbait than oh, Michael yeah, Jordan, Michael B. Jordan in Calvin and Calvin Klein. Klein's. Yeah. Like literally, <laughs> so you know, you wrote an article about that is, you know, part of writing that about getting the clickbait so that your name now rises. Nah, that's that's one hundred percent the 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 idea for me where it's like cause like I said, we've created this world. So to me, there is no life or death in writing these stories about fashion. Nine times out of ten, the only things we need are the stuff on our back. And like if it's cold, you need something to keep you warm. If it's hot, it's something to breeze you like just simple stuff. So when I'm writing about fashion like that, like Calvin Klein and Michael B. ad, it's more like, all right, what's the context? Well, Calvin Klein has been on as far as underwear ads, 
you probably think of Calvin Klein first. Who? Name and person. I wrote about the Mark Wahlberg ad, which is the one that set it off for, for the, me. Uh, the mind. Mark Wahlberg ad, that was the OG. That's the OG, exactly. If you, and there's two of them. I'm talking about the young Mark Wahlberg, 19-year-old young That's Mark. what I'm thinking about. Yeah, like, backward the Marky, hack, the Marky, the Marky Mark yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, exactly, Marky Mark. And like to me, I'm like, oh, that's that's to me is that where that comes from and that energy where it's like they saw that and they were like, oh, we could do this shit a hundred times over. And they'd have, and they put different people in there. Justin Bieber did when ASAP Rocky, I, I mentioned, Mashallah Ali, I mentioned. And like to me, it's like, all right, how do I elevate that conversation? I put it in the context of straight up masculinity. And that's something today that people kind of fear to mm -hmm. kind of speak on and everything. But I'm like, no, you see a guy in his underwear. He's presenting a physical strength that is masculine. There's nothing else there. Nothing else there, you know? Um, and that to me was like, and and you put that in any context, you know, because that's, that's essentially the argument, you know, to even have um, nude or nude-like photography is to, to hyper, you know, hyper, you know, uh, what do you call it? Hyper magnified is physique. You know what I mean? And if it's a woman, it's feminine. If it's a man, it's masculine. And that's it. You know, if it's any. Well, that's that's a that's a part of the past. It's like yeah. it's kind of taboo to even talk about that right now, which, in my opinion, is kind of ridiculous mm -hmm. because it's, uh, you know, saying that some things are OK to talk about, some are not. Mm -hmm. And that's why I appreciate that you, you touched on that. Yeah. No, I think to me as a writer, too, it's like. I wrote a story about someone who doesn't identify with um, he or she, and I had to write it in a way that was kind of just reference them as they or by their name. And to me, that was like one of the, the hardest writing tasks I've had, but it's just like, all right, that's fair. And to me, I honestly felt like I'm, I'm not doing this the best service, you know? Because you don't fully understand it. Simply as that, like I'm not doing this the best service. But if you ask me, that's maybe the best way of writing it, because mm -hmm. I, I, to be honest, I don't fully understand it either. Mm -hmm. You know, so coming from a point, you you interviewed this, you interviewed this person, right? Yeah. So the way that you are able to I, I communicate with them often, <laughs> exactly. So the way that you're able to compartmentalize mm -hmm. the information that you got as a journalist and put it on to put it on paper um from your perspective is something that for me who doesn't fully understand um i can get it because it's coming from someone who also doesn't fully understand mm -hmm. and then you could also continue the conversation with well here's what you don't understand and then maybe uh maybe it'll be more understanding in the future yeah, I, I don't and think more comfortable. I, like even even when I first started writing, I, I I wrote the most divisive stuff. Wrote the most divisive stuff um, <laughs> when I was writing early on because I had nothing else to kind of talk about. I wasn't, you know, invited. Divisive within fashion, just or in just general. in general. Fashion too. Uh, fashion too. But give like, me years. Like when you're how old are you? I'm 35. You're 35. So you're 35. Born in uh, 1987. Um, come from where are you from? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. We're in yeah. Brooklyn. That's like saying uh, <laughs> we're in Brooklyn. I was born in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and grew up in Flatbush, and now I'm in Clinton Hill. Yeah. There we go. So we're neighbors now. Mm -hmm. Um, what was I gonna say? Ah, eh, not really neighbors. I I processed Fort Greene in my head. <laughs> um, anyway, so you grew up in Brooklyn. 
Um, grew up in Brooklyn where Crown Heights was a bit different mm -hmm. then. Yeah. Crown Heights was even different five years ago yeah. than it is now. Um, so at what point did you know that you want to be a journalist? When did you start writing? Like in, I'm sure in high school you mm. had create, you probably have papers from high school. I found yesterday morning, I found mm. a paper that I wrote senior year of high school. My wife was like, she was shocked. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a poem I wrote and then a, a paper about the poem. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start writing and actually writing where you enjoyed it and saw a future with it? Um, I think, there was one time I wrote something in a teacher in school. This was a, actually in college when I went to City Tech. Like she was like, "Oh, you want to read it for the class?" And I was like, "Nah, I don't want to read it. Like I just did it for the project." And we had to go to the museum, went to to MoMA, and like we had to write anything about our experience at the museum. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, "All right, cool. Yeah, I I could get tasks done. That's one thing. I could get." What you need, I'll learn it and I'll get it done, right? I worked uh, one day in construction. I know how to do construction now, <laughs> right? I, I at least know the basics, like, okay, things have to happen before even anything happens. Um, but when I'm taking, when I'm my teacher, I was just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not gonna read this out loud. I, mean, I don't even wanna write. I didn't wanna read. I didn't wanna do shit like that. But the, the poem that I wrote, as, as far as my experience at the uh, museum was called My MoMA. MoMA Museum of Modern Art. So it was like My MoMA. And I was like, My MoMA has this. My MoMA has that. Just I'm just paraphrasing. This is My MoMA. And we do this, do this, that. And it kind of gave you like this poetic description of your experience. And like talking about the art and where where it is and the whole vibe and the teacher was like I don't want to mess it up because it has and then she said it herself she like it has like this rhythm to it and you know I don't want to mess it up and I was like no nah, I'm not reading it I'm not reading it I didn't read it right um, and like from there I was like I could have read it but I was like I was just like nah nah like it wasn't that wasn't me and and you know it was like. Praise the work, yeah, but like I was just this shy, you know, artist kind this of person. This was Andrew who wrote this. Nah, I was, I've been Cassell more than half my life now. Got it. I've been Cassell since about 13. Got it. Yeah, like the, before the first day of high school, that name was given to me by some uh, uh, varsity basketball players when I was on JV. So that Did stuck. you wear number 10? Nah, my number was four and 24 in football. I like four though. Four was my main number. <laughs> um, I used but, to rock everything that was multiples of seven. I either wore seven. Uh, my my uh, when I was running back, wore twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, twenty one, seven. Yeah, I like four and twenty four. I was like, those are my numbers. I wear twelve now in my in my, in my pickup game. But yeah, it's like I I, I just kind of wanted you know to like I want to put stuff out there and let it work. You know, let it do what it does. Right, like, but when did you know that this was your future? And it came back, I guess, I, and I did some writing for, like, film and, you know, like, some screen stuff. I tried that. And then when I was a photographer at this apparel company, my job got outsourced, meaning that they make samples in China. They're deciding to shoot. In China? In China. Uh, yeah, so it was like, my job literally got outsourced. Um, I just wanted to pivot and do something more in 
higher end fashion. That was apparel company was like just the, the you know, just the whatever's. And I wanted to do some more higher end fashion, so I went to Paris Fashion Week and I did some photos and I was asked by the editor in chief of Fashion Week Online to like write do a write up to go with the photos. And then I was like, what the hell am I gonna write? I'm gonna just describe the photos. I'm like, I don't even know half these people in these photos. Like, I'm just follow just starting to follow them. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was a it was a good uh, influencer trip. I got like a thousand followers in like one week. <laughs> I was like, wow, look at me. Um, but it was more like <laughs> It was more like, yo, what is the experience? Oh, I know. This shit felt like high school. Did some you people, and did you write that? Some people cringed. And I was like, I know why you cringe, because high school for you was, you know, this development, you know, going through all this different changes and acne and bullies and this. And I was like, Yeah, a lot of people go through that in high school. But like, if this were high school, minus all of that. You've blossomed now. You have money to buy clothes. You meet your friends for lunch. You're looking at schedules like, oh, what shows are you going to? I have this show at nine. This show. Oh, we have the same show. Where are you sitting? I'm like, that's high school. That's We are big kids enjoying ourselves in Paris. I went to Paris Fashion Week like the whole year. And I'm like, yeah, the only thing I can sum up is like these. This is what high school would be like if we, if we're in a perfect world, you know? So it's having complete autonomy while having a schedule. Yeah, you meet friends for lunch, like, oh, we should meet for lunch. Like, yeah, let's do it. And like, you're there all week. You know, you get a solid week of like hanging out with people in like this same school structure where like classes change, um, you know, you eat lunch at different <laughs> times or like if you can catch it, you know. And then at t on top of that, it's like you can still go to dinner and go to the club after. So it's just like, what more do you need? And you, you're only there for fashion. It's like, you don't even got to pick up a math book, a social studies book. You, you feel like you uh, you got an education while you're there, comparing it to high school. Do you feel like you left mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, I just elevated I think, my, my craft? Yeah, I think for one, um, I elevated my craft as far as a writer because then I understood like I understood what fashion is through writing and like a lot of it has to do with like perspective where you know yeah Vanessa Friedman can tell you what brand is not producing high-end fashion because her opinion matters that much in fashion but then I'm like that's her she could do that mm -hmm. me you respect her yeah I respect her. I met I sat next to her at a show and I and this was like in 2015 actually so it was years before and I was like Vanessa and I looked it up and I was like oh shit not and not like inspire me to do that, but then there's the people that come up in my head where I'm like, oh, okay, that's the person I met. I met Glenn O'Brien. I know I met Will Welch from GQ on set once, and talked to him about what he likes to write, and he was like, you know, I like to, you know, describe the situation. And I was like, do you like Q and As or do you like more the you know the intimate stuff? He's like, I, I probably like the intimate stuff, describing the situation, like you know, this person says this and they cross their legs or something like that. And like, or they they tinker with the cup and like that descriptive element, you know? And like, to me, I was just like, all right, those are maybe some cues, but then I get to the point of actually writing about it because that opportunity presented itself. I just saw the feedback as like, I like this. That feedback to me was like the, the drug, you know, then the drugs hit moment. Like, whoa, like people really, you know, like people that I'm like, oh my God, this, this person, I mind you, a lot of people in Fashion Week, they're probably just hella rich. 
<laughs> I never seen people change so much clothes, go from Prada to Gucci to mm-hmm. this to that for each different show they showing up to Chanel. I'm like, what? Do you think people used to change as much before uh, before social media? Or do you think uh, that's part of the reason why people are changing outfits? Because they know they're going from this show to that show, even though they're only three, four hours apart. Mm-hmm. They know that the camera's going to be there. They're putting it on their socials, going on different platforms. So let me wear different fits. I think that met it at that point where like... The, the the influencers or just the av- the the average person going to a, to a, the average person could be a celebrity like they it met at that point of like damn I was at this show and they saw me a thousand people saw me now I'm going to this show and a thousand another thousand people saw me some new cameras it's like ooh do I really want to wear the same thing and then I think that developed from there because even if I talk about Pharrell there was time I worked in this company so like I'm watching this real time where like all right, I saw Pharrell on February 26th, dated. He's wearing this. I see him on February 28th. It's dated. He's wearing the same thing. I'm like, fashion just gassed us up, man. We over here spending money trying to change clothes every day. The richest dude I even know is like <laughs> not even, doesn't even care. And then you learn like, yeah, some dudes don't even care. It's just like find the style more so. And then everything else will work around it. So even in his style, it's like, I'll wear the same. He does it still to this day. Wears the same cardigan, same uh, frames on his face, same hat. Whatever he likes at the moment, he wears, and he wears it like. So, Cassell, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. What are like the top, what's the number one staple in your your, uh, repertoire? In my repertoire? Yeah. What do you wear? What's, What's your number one staple? Um, I wouldn't have more of a staple. I think the silhouette to me is a staple, but I usually. Um, oh, so you're talking about your tone, just like the what I'm wearing. Yeah. Well, I like here for me. I have this. Uh, mm-hmm. wit, brand is Wearsoft. Okay. I have six of the same black tea. <laughs> I was about to get there. <laughs> I have this same black tea from this company Wearsoft. Yeah. The fits great. The the materials great. I can wear it with anything. Like I, if I'm go, I, unless I'm going to the gym, mm. five six days of the week, I'm wearing a wear soft tee, whether <laughs> it's under something, yeah. just the tee, and it's because that that's just what I have on. Um. So yeah, no, nah, I definitely want to. Like I'm in the same space as you, and I I feel the same like sentiment when it comes to like you have something you like you wear it and that's where i got that's what i got from even describing pharrell like that where it's like he has something he likes and he's just going to wear it what you just described is i feel a large portion of men in fashion you just want comfortable shit that's that's cool and like it goes with a lot my setup personally is like you said a t-shirt, I maybe buy a Hanes and I found a seven pack at one point. Mm. <laughs> white t-shirt or a t-shirt in general, <laughs> usually white or black. Um, might get crazy and get a, another off-white color or, you know, something. But you in, might not even wear it because like, you know. I barely wear it. Yeah. I barely wear it because the black and the white is just all I need. It's, it's a t-shirt. It's the jeans, shoes, jacket. And honestly, less labels, the better. And to me, when I talk about men and fashion, I'm trying to go back to, I just want to say this, just find find a, a, a male 
writer about fashion that's going to speak to you, a normal guy, not a fashion guy, and say, hey, you know, I see you. You can't. I think personally, the the the, the there's a guy, this is the quintessential guy. He has his favorite t-shirt and he's going to wear it. And that's it. It might have, it might be a bass fisher, you know, bass fishing t-shirt. He's going to wear it all week. If he's a hat, he's going to wear it all week. And he's going to wear it till somebody tells him you need to wash that or get a new favorite t-shirt. But that to me has been the norm for the average guy where it's just like, we just want comfortable shit. You'll see it all the time. Guys wearing the same floppy jean where it's like, get it tailored, bro. It's funny. So I have these Lululemon like tight, mm-hmm. tight, it's, Lulu, it's not tight. It's like, uh, they're ABC pants, mm-hmm. black ABC pants. They're stretchy as fuck, super comfortable. Between that, this wear soft tee, mm-hmm. like that's my, that's it. That's and then, it, I, and exactly. then I'll, if I gotta throw a sweater over it, I gotta sw- throw a sweater over it. The Lulu pants got a rip. So I was wearing them. My wife's like, You have a hole in your crotch. I'm like, Chill. I was like, Did you notice that? Cause you're looking at my crotch or cause the hole's big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that just kind of like where's it going? So pretty much yes. Yeah, so that goes hand in hand with what you're saying with just wanting to have something that's constant and comfortable. That's I'm telling you. That's like I, I strongly believe, and this is maybe through just observation. No one surveys guys on fashion, so maybe I need to do something like that. But most guys, that one T-shirt they love, and pair of jeans that they always rock and what what does the average dad do if they got company they go grab a jacket throw that shit <laughs> over all of that but it's just like that to me is like that's the quintessential like when we talk about men's and fashion like most of what men like the, the the more traditional men's fashion it like talks to men it's like yeah we want to dress you for when you gotta travel or go to that meeting or go to that interview um or something along those lines, right? There's not much as far as like traditional men's fashion that kind of is outside of um, that. Because other than that, you're talking about like Gucci and being loud and being chauvinistic in your dress and whatnot. Where like maybe you can go to Prada and find a nice simple hoodie too, but like they're not selling you that. Yeah, I mean, I they used to. Yeah, but like also just like wearing for me, like I have a I have a couple Prada polos, mm-hmm. and I'll even throw it on. It could be all an all black polo. It's got the the triangle on the chest, mm-hmm. and even just like that, I feel like it's I'm I'm, I'm pushing it a little much. It's like it's too it's it's, it's too not it's, it's it's too loud. We're talking about it all black. Yep. The the triangle is black on black, and I still feel like. What am I doing to who am I meeting? This might be a little too flashy. And then in the sense that you wear something like that, that's what you're wearing to go out. That's what you're wearing to go to the dinner and then the club or whatever, where it's like, yeah, I'm still I don't want to be the loudest person. Like the average man doesn't care to be the loudest person, even though like that's a that's a well, loudest person is the weakest person. Normally. Right? So the more the one more quiet. More simple, it's probably going to be, and that's just dynamics. That's not anything, you know, hardline. But if you know, you know, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, you have that feeling of like, you know, the average man. Like I said, it's just like you just kind of want to be chill and be, you know, kind of be secure in that way. You're not 
showing any vulnerabilities because that's what we do, you know, in the male in the male scape of things. It's like we trying to hide the vulnerabilities, hide the weaknesses, and show only the strengths because that's what's gonna get us through, or it's gonna at least keep us going, you know, in in what in our endeavors, right? So like, yeah, you 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 wear something with like a logo on the front. That's like that's not a, a lot of times guys don't want to do that. Like nah. you know what I mean? If it, if we do do that, we have some representation of it. Like we are a part of it. Siegelman yep. State. Like we are we we know the person. You know, um, you know, you see a guy wearing a John Deere hat. What you thinking he doing back home? Sound his tractor. Yep. You know you know it for a fact. Like yeah. you, you just you, but because that's his. His identity is tied to that. So it's like, you know, my wife knows I like John Deere equipment. So I'm going to let other people know I like John Deere equipment. How do I do that? You get a merch, piece of merch. That's what, you know, you get merch at festivals. You want people to know you were at a festival. I mean, now thinking about it, as you're saying this, I I wear pretty much basics. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, 99 out of 100 days, I'm wearing a hat. It's either a Siegelman stable hat or mm -hmm. a TMB hat. So I'm either rocking my brand or Max's brand. Yeah, and uh, and that to me is like the, that to me is just the ultimate evolution for for I, I would I don't even I don't know if I should even call him like the average man, but it it could essentially be because the the other style is just over you know dressing to be to peacock in a sense you mm -hmm. know what I mean like it, like to me like this is great. Like your style is great. It's a simple white hoodie. It's a simple. But what do you white think hat. of, uh, in your opinion, uh, the 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 corduroys with the the terry cloth hoodie? To me, I'm just too like too much you, texture, or is this good texture? No, I think it's fine because it's just like you you wearing it, and that's the thing. It's when when I'm talking about the guys at Peacock, they wear dress less for this snowy ass day that we having right here. This wet snowy day. You've dressed in a way that I get while you're wearing each, even down to the socks. You know what I mean? Like the socks are a little thicker than average yep. because it's a thick winter <laughs> sock. You got on boots. You got on the corduroy. That's to keep all the wind out. You know what I mean? You got on the, the Sherpa. I'm wearing a Sherpa because it's cold. Like, but, we you know still I mean? say, but we still say fat. We still stick with being fashionable and functional. Yeah. And like, like I said, it's like you don't have to be to a T as much. It's just more about like. You know, cause they, even like the average, like the average guy doesn't care to dress. Like I'm in Aspen, and I'm like, yeah, this dude has a Montclair jacket, but he just bought it because he probably knows about it through this girl who wanted to buy a jacket, or he's just like, yeah, Montclairs are cool. I'll just get one for myself. But like, you know, you're looking at them, it's like these guys aren't the craziest fashion guys. You know what I mean? They're trying to dress warm for the most part, but like the the fashion is coming from the women. The women have the fur and the nice boots and this and that. They're, they're outdressing their guy counterparts, but it's just like, I get it. Cause they the ones, you know, they're the ones who kind of like live in that as opposed to like men need fashion for function as much as it like these girls are like, they care about the, I mean, the look, I was going to say the looks, the likes. Yeah. The looks and the likes. And that's fair. Cause that's, that, uh, what are we lying about? Influencers do that. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not talking down on that at all. That's perfectly no, I fine. I mean, not for nothing. It's, it's compliments and you, you yeah. want to look good. You chose this outfit and you want to get complimented. I appreciate. Or appreciate compliments. Yeah, I appreciate when, you know, women want to dress and look good, feel good. Because, like, ultimately, and, you know, I guess we got to have in this more male-dominated conversation. But, like, ultimately, it's like, yeah, that makes me happy. That makes me happy when I see girls having fun, looking good. I'm like, yeah, great. You know what I'm saying? That's the, that's the That makes the day go by. 
understandably. And like when when you're talking about like as far as you know the fashion aspect of it, like yeah, and that's that's where that simple outfit, all black outfit with the Prada logo in black, that's where the 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 girl that you know you are you are with or even the the girl that's interested in you that's where she has moments to kind of tap into you like oh what's that about what's this what's that i love this and how it looks on you because now you don't outshine me <laughs> you understand like and that's what you sh you know your girl wants to be like talked about in that way or you know girls want to be the the center of attention in that way as opposed to like i said the average man i'm trying to be in the cut and I don't need to be on the forefront. If people know me, that's one thing. But I'm trying to be in the cut. I'm trying to be chill, very humble, and, you know, move through this in this way, you know. And if I have to, you know, if I have to, like, flutter my wings and let people know I'm here or puff up my chest, I'll do that, you know. Not to say I'm talking about, like, physical altercation. I'm talking about, like, maybe. Yeah, but not for nothing. You always, you walk in a room, mm -hmm. you, you still, you're, you're, not, you're not basic. There's nothing, you're, you're not walking in a room. And first off, how tall are you? I'm about 6'2". There we go. So 6'2", mm -hmm. you dress well, mm -hmm. you're a good looking guy, you're sticking out. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to peacock. And you're, you know, being someone with the fashion sense that you do, you're not going to be too so basic. Mm -hmm. You might have something that pops, not in a peacocking way, but just because it flows. Yeah, yeah. And like... It, you know, it, to peacock is is one thing, and you can do that even in the sense you wear something very simple that says so much. Think about it like, um, you know, the Frank Lucas story with Denzel in the movie. That moment he wore the fur coat was the moment that he drew this attention that kind of spoiled his his you know his the fruit of his loins, which was his drug business. But it was like the gift from his wife. It was a gift from his exactly. Whereas like the literal aspect of what we were just talking about happened there and it happened in real life as well. But like um that moment was like he peacocked. Whereas like if he sat in the front row and had on his regular jacket and she was doing her thing, he'd just be like, Oh his regular trench coat, a top hat. He had on a fur hat with the fur coat to match. His girl had on a fur coat of her own. You you know, and that's and that's the thing too. Like even you know, you you go out with somebody. It's like, or you go out with with the girl. It's like she's gonna be way more you know attractive looking to the average person. Women gonna look at her. Men gonna look at her. All you have to do is just be present. Yep. And what are you gonna wear most likely if you're gonna go to something top tier night out? It's a suit. What changes a suit over the years besides the shoulders? Yeah. You know what I mean? Lapel. The, the, the You're not going to wear like a crazy looking suit. It's probably going to be on the more traditional side. You know, I know Louis, Louis Vuitton has like the strap thing and all that. Some suits? Yeah. Like they do like, you know, style suits like that. But in a sense that that's the most peacocking as a man, but the suit still has a traditional. Look. Right. But peacocking. So for me, if I'm like, I, I been on the peacock a bit but mm -hmm. that could be as just as much as wearing a red suit yes yes because even just wearing a solid red suit is a more uh subtle way of peacocking yes it's not audacious yeah it's not audacious mm -hmm. where i'm like trying but you know it's something stylish and stands out yeah, and like it, it, the way the peacock even in suits is like you got the color, but then you some people do turtlenecks. Mm -hmm. You know, some people do like the 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 
the high pant with the sock under it and something signaling like not the biggest wanna, fan of that. Yeah, something signaling like I'm gonna do something a little different, you know, maybe the two part thing, which I'm not too much of a fan of myself, you know, like top different jacket different from the yeah, pant. Not for me. Yeah, like I'm a I'm a solid kind of you know look, but to me like those those things are still in the sense of like traditional men's fashion going to the suit you know the thing we wear collar shirts or you know if you wear a suit i don't wear a suit with collars i wear them with a t-shirt huh. you know because that to me is more comfortable i don't like the collar feel as much i might wear a turtleneck myself you know um and that to me is like uh an extension of what you can do in a traditional sense you know and i'm saying this and I'm I'm speaking on it this way, in a traditional male fashion sense, because that's the majority of men. You know, there are men that want to dress extra. If you have a stylist, yeah, you can hit red carpets and they're gonna style you to look crazy and look good. You know, but like for the most part, like even in a sense, I talk about unisex fashion a lot. It's like there's still some traditional stuff in there. Like you know what I mean? It's not it's it's not about like let's change the shape of the sweater or this but how or that. is the average man if you're writing about the average man how's the average man gonna get a piece of your writing because someone who's reading mm -hmm. about fashion is probably not this average man who you're talking about this average man who you're talking about might not have the interest mm -hmm. or even no might probably doesn't think that you're writing about their style the average man does not care about fashion that is that to me is like the constant because the average man cares more about their work that they're doing. So fashion is secondary. Fashion is like, yeah, your wife or your spouse or your partner saying, hey, you need a new shirt. What do you do? Like, oh, I gotta go find a shirt. <laughs> or you, you go with your girl and she's like, God, that looks good, that looks good. Okay, I'm buying the stuff that you like because I don't care about it, right? You see, and, and not to like even just exaggerate, it's like you see this in when you go shopping on the weekends. Mm -hmm. You see like dudes like just like, oh my God, why do I have to be here? Like they don't like it as much, you know? It's not like something they're really into. And like I do have friends who we're like, yeah, you saw that new Montclair jacket or the Steve McQueen and you're going to get this and Celine has done this. Like I have those friends too, but even in that, these guys are weekend warriors when they come to this shit. Yeah. You know, they 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 care about fashion when they have to go out. Like they want to throw on the shit. They want to do that. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Cause I know during the week they working. They really work. You know what I mean? But in the sense that they have the 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 um I always lose this word. Uh the the money to spend essentially, like the leisure money or I forgot what it's called, but they spend it on that. You know, they spend it on let me see if I can get my hands on that Louis V jacket. Let me see if I can get my hands on those Prada boots or those sneakers or those, you know, Jordans or whatever. Um, let me see if I can get those things because those things, in a sense of like men in fashion, just signal like, okay, I know what's going on. I have good taste, right? And uh, essentially, you could afford some shit, so you're not broke. And there's some simple, there's some some simplicity about those products that you act that you just mentioned also yeah they're just they're additives they're, they're not doing anything yeah. crazy it's just like i want to replace the hat that i'm wearing i want to place the, the hoodie the jacket the shoes like it's the same setup just different things that they're you know adding to so that's why i said for me it's just shoes what the pants look and feel like or fit like the t-shirt to me like yeah i got different cuts of a t-shirt but nine times out of ten i could just 
pick the base, most basic and it work with everything, right? Which you probably usually go with the most basic. I've been wearing this shirt to the <laughs> office. It's got a whole RFID code on, like one of those, you know, like fashion uh, metaverse kind of thing. Yeah. The NFT out the t-shirt. But I'm like, it's a thick <laughs> short sleeve shirt, like a sweater like, and it's winter time. So, oh, right. Yeah. And then I'm wearing ski pants. I got an Aspen because I'm like, it's wet. It works. Yeah, and you look comfy. The function, yeah, you know. Um, but like, yeah, it's like I'm thinking about it in those ways where, you know, the average man is not caring to even read about fashion. So know? let's uh let's segue mm-hmm. from that into uh I'm gonna do a quick uh this or that, and okay. then I'm gonna ask you uh, a final question of what I like to ask people mm-hmm. when they come on the show. All right, here we go. Fashion, uh, this or that. You ready? Yes. All right. Uh, carpenter pants or cargo pants? Cargo. Cargo. Uh, hoodie or crew? I do hoodie. Braided belt or no belt? I like braided belts because um, you could get them in Jamaica handmade. Low top, high tops? I'm a high top sneaker person. <laughs> I love high tops. With jeans, sneakers or boots? I would say sneakers. I would say sneakers. Boots I could flux around with any type of other pant and they have like a cool aesthetic to it. So I'll just do sneakers for jeans. Boots can look big too with the other tighter pair of jeans, which looks goofy to me. Fair enough. And um, I guess last one to go with today's weather. Uh, bubble jacket or parka? I would say bubble. I think one of the hardest things to find is a nice bubble jacket. I have one from What Kupel's. bubble jacket did you have? In, I have my jacket's Koopals also. Yeah, I have a bubble. Love Koopals is my favorite. Yeah, like they, 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 the jacket fits perfect. It always looks great. It has a great shape. And I say, too, it's hard to find a good bubble because if you find one that's puffy, over time it'll sink in and look droopy. And then that just, to me, is like sign of a not-so-good jacket. But when you find a nice one that's packed really tight and it has a shape, it's like, oh, shit, yeah, I can't get this I have, one. like, a Koopal's bubble jacket with some leather 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 accents, like, okay. uh, around the wrist, around the collar. Yeah. No, I have one, too, where the zipper is, like, leather on the inside and then, like, it's, it's this trim fur two on the hood i don't even wear the hood no more that's why i'm like a bubble so right now you reading anything um i'm reading my boss's book um what the hell is it called (laughs) (laughs) uh no the tanning of america the tanning of america yeah i'm reading that um Would, would you recommend it I definitely recommend it, um, especially if you, um, somebody said this too on YouTube, if you want to start a business, you need to understand the market and how it works. And that's a good book on like branding and marketing to audiences. It talks about how, where we are today with like hip hop and streetwear being almost centric to, you know, a lot of what we see out in the world, you know, Um, and like even you know, just the person in general, Steve Style has been in music for over a few decades now. Um, I, it's funny too. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in the universe. I do. Send it out there. Yeah, I, I want to interview 
my boss, Steve Stout, <laughs> the owner of the company I work for, the ad agency, uh, Translation, United Masters. I want to interview him because of how he implemented, uh, let's just say, street culture into advertising through just hip hop, but like he also implemented it through fashion. The S. Dot Carter he was involved in, um, and like you know Reebok and Allen Iverson, Jada Kiss. Like there's a there's an aspect of of fashion that stemmed from hip hop that he himself kind of. Part- Do you think that he was influenced by Spike Lee, Steve Stout? Um, maybe, maybe. I don't think, I don't see anything. Because you're naming things from like late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And like when I'm thinking streetwear, hip hop, I'm even going to go 15 years before that. Mm-hmm. And like Spike Lee do the right thing. Yeah, no, Spike Lee, when did that movie come out? 80 what? 80 something. Three, four, five. Something like that. But I'm yeah, gonna, Spike I'm Lee. throw 85 at the board. <laughs> I think, you know, there is a reference to... Actually, he did mention something. He probably did mention something like that in the book. Um, but it was brief and then probably in the early part. But that definitely has something to do with, like, streetwear, fashion. Um, I think it even has something to do with sustainable fashion. Because mm. when you maintain your sneaker, you can now resell it. Or, you know, you don't put it to waste. It becomes like, you know, sneakers to me are like artifacts. Right? But um, same thing with jerseys, jerseys. Yeah. Um, and like to to I, I wouldn't skip over that that point. But Spike Lee maybe just highlighted something that was relevant. And that's that's and I think everybody had their moment in time to kind of help identify what's going on. And I'm doing that now because this is where I grew up through the streetwear era, through the digital era. And, and you know, coming from analog, coming from streetwear not being a a, a a word in a sense because it was just like I'm going to Dr. J's or Jimmy Jazz to get my clothes and Prada and the only other store I knew in Soho Prada because it was right there on the corner all the time Jimmy Jazz no I mean not even Soho it's like Prada is like just too expensive that I know of or if it's um, you remember that store the lounge I'm yeah, Sid's pants, yeah. um, the the atrium, like those would be the places we would go to like get more of the that you know, <laughs> red monkey or you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the the shit Jim Jones was wearing or even before that where it was just like we go to um get the Jeff Hamiltons, the Pele Pele's, you know, Vanson jackets like early two thousands and things like that, um, but like it was you know those things were more on the expensive side. Uh, I don't know how people shop today. No, I remember uh, going to a lounge on Broadway when I was younger. And, mm-hmm. Like that's what a thousand dollar hoodie looks like. Yeah, like rhinestones like, or some shit. You like yeah, you're like what? This is crazy. I mean, we didn't understand like fabrics or anything no. fabric um, manufacturing back then. Um, but like I said, I, when I'm coming up through all these different eras and I'm watching shit change from, you know, AOL to. You just getting on Instagram and I'm like, oh, I'm on Instagram now. I don't want to do this. You know, being a, a digital photographer and not wanting to do Instagram. I was like, oh, that wasn't too smart, <laughs> you know, and and coming up even through digital photography. It's like you get to, you, you know, for me, this is my point in time to identify and connect those dots. Spike Lee at his point in time was to identify that 
at in the hood the Jordan sneaker because Jordan was such a good player and he represented you know a lot of what we could be. I want to be like Mike. The sneaker itself was 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 holy grail and to disrespect somebody's sneakers in a place where how do you know I have $150 to go buy a new pair? Now I'm going to make you pay. So stepping on sneakers was a big thing coming up in where I'm from in Brooklyn, other places in New York City and around, you know, other communities in the, in the United States. It's a big thing because it's an expensive thing to to us in the gaze of like we didn't go like to go to Dapper Dan, he was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. To go to the dudes in Queens who was making those spray paint jackets, he was a drug dealer or rapper. Like Carl Kanai was saying that too. He was like the only people that could afford my stuff was drug dealers. And I wasn't even making crazy price items. You know, that's what he said, paraphrasing. So it's like, yeah, we get that. But like, now you, t- you, you, besides the drug deal, you got the average kid, like, don't step on my sneakers. Oh, I'm going to throw down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't do that. So it's like that, that to us was the Holy Grail. It represented so much. Spike Lee identified that, you know, Carl Kanai identified a style and cre- created that style because you would go out. And you're buying, you know, Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, and just buying it 3X, 2X, and just trying to make it look like the thing. Calvin and I said, I'm going to just make it that, you know? And that was his era. That was his um, his language in, in describing what was going on in, in, you know, in the neighborhood that was, that was something that could help build us up rather than tear us down. And, like, fashion helps build people up. That's why I fuck with it. You know, it, it gives you that, that level of confidence, you know, it, it asserts you. Cause like, even like you said, like, I love this shirt. It, is, it gives you that confidence where like, no, nah, this shirt always looks good on me. That's why I got six of them. You know what I mean? Like it, it's those type of things. And like, now you can walk in you don't have to be wearing a suit and to feel confident like that. You would just be wearing the things that make you comfortable and come in with your, your peace of mind that's, that we're really here for. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't equate to your style of dress. And this is something that the corporate worlds are understanding now, you know, um, and then other other industries are understanding because as you can see, every industry wants to collaborate with fashion. Mm-hmm. Fashion is number three thing in the world. Look up. I mean, look at the, uh, look at Diageo. Look at, look, look at, at Diageo <laughs> right there. Yeah. You, where you just came from. Yeah, and and, and Palm Aspen Tree Palm Tree Crew collaborating Blue with Forty Two Party. Yeah, Siegelman Stabling collaboration. Um, you know, every brand wants to be in fact. And like I said, you go to you go to um, a show, a festival like Palm Tree Music Festival. There's merch. Who made the merch? Aviator Nation. What's Aviator Nation? A California-based, um, like you know, sporting leisure brand, right? And it's like. There's connections there. The founder of Aviator Nation is the fan of Kygo, you know, um, and Kygo music has been global. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's 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 helped people alleviate a certain stress when they go to his, you know, his shows and they get to listen to his music and like all those things have a have a point. It's not life or death, but like I said, it goes back to the beginning thing. I said we created this world so we can do these things, and now I understand there's you could bring up any type of like political, socioeconomical issue, but it's like at the same time, like you want to be stressed all the time? No. No. So, you know, like I said, go back to the basics. You got men who care about working, 
and fashion is just a byproduct of that there know? we go now before we go give me one word of advice for anyone trying to make it in new york city keep your two dollar bills stacked <laughs> stack your twos yeah stack your two dollar bills um be persistent in getting your two dollar bills i'm saying two dollar bills because i'm looking at a thousand dollars in two dollar bills right now you'll see this on it's called a brick a ba- brick of bills thousand dollars in two dollar bills is called a brick so a thousand dollars in two dollar bills we got a whole brick right here but i would say don't come here broke that's why i say stack your money like i see people come here with nothing or like i hear stories like oh, i only moved with twenty dollars i was like are you stupid yeah. Like to me, the, the, the there's a certain <laughs> level of ignorance in people coming to New York, and it's the same ignorance that gets us New Yorkers tight when we watch we have tourists like stopping in the middle of the street just to do some dumb shit. Where it's like take a picture of a building. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, like, what are you, you taking? Do a picture that of? This pa- building. You can literally walk and still take that picture. The building isn't moving. You're not gonna get a blur. But they're also <laughs> taking pictures of buildings. That's just a building. It's not the Flatiron <laughs> Building. It's not the Empire State Building. Yeah, they just take pictures of buildings. But yeah, so it's like when you come to New York, be mindful of that. Think about it like. How people? He's not like, saying as a tourist. He's saying anyone trying to make, make it, it, make it, come here, to New York. Yeah. Be mindful. It's almost like um, when they say like people come to Paris or Americans come to Paris and they were rude. It's because you didn't take the time to actually acknowledge their language, their culture, respect, and and you, respect you're that. not even trying. So in New York, think of it as the same thing. You didn't come here if you don't understand the culture, if you're scared of the cat in the bodega, if you don't understand why every couple stops is somebody screaming on a train, go back home. They miss you. There's, there's jobs over there. You know, your family loves you. Um, you know what I mean? New York is just not cut out for you. you it's coming from the kid from Crown Heights. Yeah, no facts. It's like you you either you either adjust, adapt, and you know make the best of it, or this shit gonna chew you up, and you're just gonna be in tears the whole time. And people have left here in tears. <laughs> Cassell, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, what we're in February right now. Let's try and have you back around like August, September. I'm definitely down to come back. Today is February 28th. It's the last day of Black History Month. Um, Hopefully, I get to be a part of that one day in the books, not just in general, <laughs> um, but in history in general and fashion. You know, like uh, I definitely have some uh, more evolving kind of views and and dreams in fashion. So it'll all be in the works. And then, Amen. Issue four, top of twenty twenty four of Page Magazine. This year, I'm trying to finish up this book called uh, Mind Body Roll. Um, it is about the therapy behind rolling a joint. Hmm. Um, I go into some detail about the culture that it once was. Um, obviously, it's legal in a lot of places now. Um, shout out to the officer in Aspen who told me I can't smoke in here or in public. Hmm. In um, Colorado? In Aspen, Colorado. And it was a black officer, too. I said, damn, bro, you can't even let me smoke in peace. But he just trying to put me on the game. I ain't mad at him. Um, just in case anybody else run down on me, but mm. so I stayed at my hotel, which is private property. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm writing a book because of things like that. That the the culture has changed. The culture has um, uh, has evolved around weed smoking. It's not looked at as a degenerate thing as much. No. Um, I also wanted to. I want to elevate it. I really want to elevate it to where, you know. They're taking cocaine habits and using them to kind of promote caviar. I don't know if you ever did a caviar bump. Stop. That so serious. The same shit. But that to me is 
I mean, it's a, definitely in a space of aficionado. A caviar bump. That sounds like a TikTok challenge. Yo, listen, it's all marketing, man. And oh I'm with God. it. I'm I'm with a culture that can create those vibes. Because you got to think about it. Even like you going to Aspen, that's so specific, you know, in a sense of like how many people go to Aspen on a regular basis, but not too many people I know anyway. But like caviar bumps, um, marijuana, and not looking at it as this criminal act of rolling weed where it's like I don't even roll weed in public because I just got the little pre-rolls because I'm like I want to be neat my hands get old mm -hmm. you know make it a neat habit make it a, a more elevated experience I roll nice pretty joints that mm. you know ladies love to kind of get a little puff on when they get it you know if they with it and like to me it's just like you know, creating a, a vibe around it that's not um, degenerate, that's not uh, filthy, um, that can have that same uh, esque as like the caviar bump. You know, it's a niche product, but like, where does it happen in these type of settings? You know, you smoke weed anywhere, of course, but it's more like let's create an air around it, let's let's elevate it. You know, like like let's make it a little more prestigious. So like, you know. Think about when you go smoke a cigar, what, what's the reason? You could give me any reason why you're smoking a cigar and how you moving after you, while you're smoking a cigar. Are you not a boss? Yeah, Is I, mean, I, I like to smoke. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but I love to smoke cigars. Yeah, and it's a niche product. Yeah. Not everybody smokes cigars. Not everybody even handle a cigar, but it's like when you think a cigar, like you said, to you, it's, it's your thing, right? I don't know if you smoke weed. I don't know if you drink, but some people get a little drink. Like Don Draper, like you mentioned earlier, where it's like he's always got the little cocktail in the cup. Tom Ford walked out onto um, the runway of a Gucci show once. He had a cocktail in his hand. Didn't know if he was drinking it before, if he grabbed it on his way out. Doesn't matter. He gave, and Tom Ford is good for this. He gives you character, gives you narrative in his fashion, in his things that he does. When I saw that, and I often write about alcohol and fashion because even it's like, part of the lifestyle exactly the lifestyle you smoke your cigar you in a suit feel bossy you know what i mean you might be celebrating a birth of a child or some other, some other business connection um you know you 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 have these these um things you associate with fashion like the cocktail what are you wearing cocktail jacket or you might be casual you might you know you wear something else to go get a beer you wear the plaid shirt to get a beer you wear a cocktail jacket to go get the mixologist yeah. to hook you up you got those settings. Like I said, you go out on a date with your girl, you could be wearing a suit or it could be just like you guys are going to some shack and you're going to just chill, <laughs> you know, but she's going to be dressed up. You're going to be dressed up. There's so many different scenarios that like, you know, I'm just trying to make them more prevalent in the minds of people where it's like, oh, I can do that now. I so let's uh, let's have you back and yeah. let's see where the progress is with the book. You think it'll be out by then? I'm hoping it'll be out by then. Uh, but one thing I got to, you know, as you know, mm -hmm. being in New York City, you got to have patience. Yeah. No sense in rushing anything. Yeah. All right. My G. Yo, thank you, man. Thank, thank you for you, coming. Steve. Appreciate it, man. This is, a, this is a good conversation. I love to have these conversations. I don't think I do them enough. They kind of open up my own world.